Boom, what is happening, good people in podcast land? My name's Jack Nagel and this is Real Drug Talk where we talk about all things drugs, alcohol, addiction, addiction recovery and anything else that is interesting in the space. Um, Welcome to another show. Before I tell you about today's episode, um, as always, today's show is brought to you by Connection Based Living, which is our outpatient program uh, where we help people break and beat addictive patterns without having to go to rehab. So if that sounds of interest to you and you you don't want to go through the traditional system, um, but you want to make some changes, we might be able to help. Links and all of that kind of jazz are in the bio. Um, also guys, um, we have an email list, uh, anyone that's interested, we talk about, um, career stuff in the AOD space. Uh, we talk about any, you know, like issues around addiction and tips and tricks to help people get through it. Uh, and any interesting stuff that's gone on in the last email newsletter um, that we put out, which only just came out the other day, uh, it was around innovative um, uh, therapies for or pharmacotherapies for methamphetamine. Um, yeah, which was like pretty interesting off the back of a conference that I went to in Canberra, not a conference, a symposium, a research symposium. Um, uh, in Canberra. So yeah, if that's of interest to you, you can find that in the notes also. Um, so in today's show, uh, we got Talia Adams. Um, and sorry, the show's a bit late, everybody. Uh, as I said, we've just had a massive week. Um, flights and travel and all that stuff has started up again and I was up in Canberra. Um, so everything just got kind of kerfuffled a little bit and not as much content, but this week but that'll all be back next week um uh yeah so we had talia adams on the show this week um and she tells her story about overcoming meth addiction but it's super interesting because she is super smart and intelligent um you know had kind of the normal life before using meth good jobs um a career you know good family all that sort of stuff um blew it all up uh, and then it's really interesting to hear her journey, you know, like through prison and trying to get um, her career back on track and um, pursuing new opportunities and the barriers that came up as a result of that. So, yeah, really awesome episode um, for anyone looking to do big things in their life but are worried about, you know, the impacts of their past. Um so I uh, hope you guys enjoy all that. Again, sorry uh, that it's been a bit slow in coming out this week, but we'll be back to normal programming as of next week. Um, hope everyone's safe and well. Enjoy everybody. Have a good day. Peace. All right. Boom. Welcome everybody to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Now, I apologize. This week has been a bit of a kerfuffle because um, we're kind of a little bit like going back to normal. I know people have been saying that for a while, but it's starting to only happen in my life now and uh, starting to fly again after COVID. And I had a um, conference in Canberra. So I apologize everybody uh, for a bit of a delay um, on, on, the podcast this week but i'm excited because we've got an awesome guest um we've got talia adams how you going mate hey good thank did you the cat knock the phone yeah. did the cat knock the video recorded down yeah we're off to a real good start <laughs> like, <laughs> to be honest that's how i like it so so funny funny story there might be some people that were there listening to this but how funny is this right so 
I actually, I do, I, I've always gotten a bit, and I don't know if you've ever done much of this stuff, but I've always gotten pretty nervous about like speaking in front of people. Um, and I go red, but if I'm just like talking about what I know and freestyling, like it's cool. Like I'm pretty good with that. But as soon as there's any like structure and sort of like official stuff to it, I just fucking go to shit. Right. <laughs> so I'm at this, I'm at this conference on, it was back on Monday, Tuesday. And, um, I had to like chair the, the first session and it's the first time in like three years that I've done anything like that or second time actually, but. Yeah, and I had to like read people's names and it was a research conference. So there was like big fucking words that I know what they are, but I just got so anxious and couldn't talk and just made an absolute banana of myself. So I actually kind of like, I actually kind of like this more real interviews where the cat's knocking the camera down. And all that yeah, <laughs> I don't have a cat, but uh, it was me. But uh, let's just, we'll say it was the cat. <laughs> but I hear you. I like the, I like the chat. Um, rather than rather than the speeches, the speeches make me nervous too. Yeah, nice. Hey, so thanks for coming on, man. Uh, appreciate it. Um, I'm I'm really excited to to hear about your experience and um, yeah, just I'm not going to disclose it now because we chatted a little bit on the phone about it, but yeah, I'm sure it'll come out and what we're talking about. So it should be yeah, it should be a good chat and a good pod. Um, but give us the Three minute snapshot on you. Like, uh, where do you, where does your story fall within the whole, uh, you know, drugs landscape? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was listening, I was listening to your podcast and I was like, he's going to ask me to explain my life in three minutes. And I was like, how do you like, <laughs> anyways, it's fine. I'll try. So <laughs> we'll be it's here just good tomorrow. To kind of fuck still. With people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I grew up uh, in a small town. It's not so small anymore, but it was back when I grew up, uh, Bribie Island, which is about an hour north of Brisbane. Um, oh, cool. Middle class, four kids, mum and dad worked really hard, um, sent me to a private school. Um, I enrolled yeah. in university straight out of high school, um, moved into the city when I turned 18, um, worked in nightclubs and, you know, went to festivals and used drugs recreationally. Um, and then when I was... 19, I met a girl at Indy or Gold Coast 600, whatever they call it these days. And um, oh, yeah. we went to a party together and um, they were smoking speed. And uh, and I tried some because I was because I was that girl, you know, I was always down for something. And, um, how, and how, many, how many years ago was that? How many years ago was that? Oh, uh, I'm 32 now. So. I don't, yeah, can't so do maths probably, on the spot. Jack. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. About like, like over 10 years ago. 13 years. No, and the reason yeah. why 13 years. Yeah. The, the reason why I asked that, cause I laughed and it probably is around the same time. Cause I'm nearly 32 as well. Um, that's how I started, but you hear nobody talk about that anymore. Like we, yeah, we started smoking speed. Um, and yeah, ice wasn't a thing. Like, and then ice became yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. It was around, but it no. wasn't like a huge thing. And then if yeah. you took ice over speed, you were kind of like dun, dun, dun. yeah, it was like yeah, you were a drugo. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's bizarre. That's right. But yeah, so we um we yeah, I she offered me the speed and I smoked it and um. I basically never left that party after that. Like it gave me, I stayed there. We, we, I was there for 
months at this person's house. Yeah. I didn't even know them. Yeah. Um, yeah and uh, it just gave me the escape that I needed at the time, which was um, which was perfect. And so I used speed and then subsequently ice every single day uh, for the rest of my adult life um, until, yeah. you know, I was – I was a pretty high functioning addict for the most part. You know, I held really respectable yeah. jobs like local government, um, banking, telecommunications, finance, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, had my own place, went to university, kept up appearances. Um, and that in my mind kept me from being like a drug addict. Um, yeah. Being like a high functioning user like that. So yeah, I, um, you know, you can't can you, be an ice addict and like, do that forever. Yeah. So, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Can you just talk me through yeah. it? Because I, I, I meet heaps of people like you that hold their shit together <laughs> sort of in some fashion, like externally, yeah. with, like you said, with jobs and whatever. Like I couldn't do that. So like what's the, what's the mentality that's happening in your head to, to have that? Is it, are you kind of actively telling yourself – yeah, I've got this, like, as you said, local government job or finance job. I've got this house. Mm. Like, I'm all good. As long as I can have this stuff together, like, that means that I'm okay. Is that the sort of thought process? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, as long as I have a job, I'm not a drug addict. As long as I have a house, I'm fine. Or as long as I look good, then I'm not like those other people. And it sort of is like a better than mentality but also inside I'm just like like you know treading water just like trying to survive and trying not to have everything just crash down around me like it's almost like a perfectionism you know you have to have everything has to be perfect and you can't um you can't let something slip because how else am I going to maintain this facade that I have got yeah. yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. yeah so very interesting. And- it, but it doesn't last forever, Jack. Like you can't be like that forever. Everybody ends up in the same yeah. place. Jail, dead, rehab. Yeah. It's just yeah. the it reality. Does, it does. You're, you're right. Like once you kind of tip over into that addictive kind of space, it, it yeah, it just becomes way too hard to manage, doesn't it? And always goes out of it's- control. So out of control. I lost everything. I like lost my job and lost my house and then lost my mind. And I started, you know, selling drugs and committing, you know, doing this crazy stuff that the earlier me would never have done because I wasn't like that. But I did all this crazy stuff and it all come unstuck. And, um, and I, I got charged with some pretty serious drug offenses at the beginning of 2017. Um, and the magistrate gave me yeah. bail um, and my addiction was yeah. waiting for me with open arms. Um, so yeah. I just went straight back to doing what I was doing before and I uh, kept, I just kept using and selling and doing what I was doing until, you know, I kept getting caught and kept getting caught and bail and bail and breaching bail and my charge list went from like seven charges to like, 42 charges, just shit, petty yeah. charges. But because I kept getting bail, I just kept doing it. I 
wasn't I was just like my life's out of control who gives a shit let's let's burn this bitch to the ground basically (laughs) that's what I was thinking you know and so um I finally they stopped giving me bail I was held on remand at the end of 2018 and um and I spent the next 10 months um, at Brisbane Women's Correctional Centre on remand um where I was I once I got to jail I was just I was done. I couldn't do this life anymore. I was tired. You know, I was scared. I was just like an, a wreck. I was a mess. And um, and I was just really lucky uh, that I was connected with an incredible therapist in prison and um, and two women in Narcotics Anonymous who supported me like beyond measure while I was in prison and I worked really fucking hard with the time that I had to um, – work my shit out basically and um and when I got out I just kind of continued on that trajectory I got out August 2019 and um I just continued on the same path so the women that um supported me inside supported me outside and um and I was lucky enough that I had family um who hadn't you know turned their backs on me they they supported me as well and um and I just I worked really hard and um and I graduated my degree and I like went on this road trip and met the love of my life and now I live in far north Queensland and I'm doing my masters um in criminology and criminal justice yeah. and I have a 10 month old baby and I just can't even wow yeah like picture that this would have ever been my life 5 years ago and I've been sober ever since I got through those prison doors yeah. So yeah. interesting. Wow. Sounds like a massive story. <laughs> That's so a lot. <laughs> See, just two minutes. Go- <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You, you did well to compile it all Thanks. together. Um, so, so just to go back to unpack it a little bit, can you, can you talk me through what were the little like moments that started to happen when I suppose the your external life's um, demise started to like kind of match probably what you were feeling internally for quite a while like was there anything in particular that you know you mentioned you started to lose your job and your house and stuff like that was there particular things that happened or was it just kind of a process of becoming more and more out of control yeah um so like I definitely don't want to paint this picture that my life was all roses up until this certain point and then it all fell apart. Like my life would be like real good, real good. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd like stop going to this job and then I'd lose it and then I'd have to move house and then I'd real good, real good. And then yeah. so it was always like this, like always just teetering on the edge, you know, always just uh, just a day away from homelessness and all that stuff that came later. Um, but probably um probably the 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 nail in the coffin was my boyfriend that I had at the time um that I lost my last job that I ever held and then uh lost my unit that I was living in and then I was in this really violent relationship and um and that's when I couldn't I couldn't manage to scramble everything back together again before it was too late and I was like I had this choice you know like do I um go back to my parents house and admit defeat and try and get clean because I'd tried that before and it never worked because I always try and do it cold turkey and 
no support and um or do i continue this lifestyle that i've become accustomed to and i i can do this i can sell drugs like well, everyone else does it yeah so and that was that yeah. was really like that was the crossroads for me and i really wish i had have gone down yeah. the other road and just gone home but um i decided to start selling drugs and that and it all just come unstuck i was not i'm not a good criminal <laughs> It's, not good it's interesting it. when you say that, like <laughs> it's, um, yeah. Like I remember back to, yeah. Like a few things that you said have reminded me of stuff that doesn't usually remind me. Like the smoking speed was one that was a bit of a trip out. I haven't heard anyone <laughs> say that for ages, but the, the, the other one is, yeah. Like that thing where you get to like the crossroads and it's almost like a conscious decision in a, in a way where you just like kind of accept this sort of path or something. I remember I had the same thing too. I was just, I stopped. Yeah. Like I remember for me, it wasn't as extreme as that. Like, oh, I'm going to start selling drugs, but it like, well, meth, but it was like, I just don't give a fuck anymore. I'm not even going to try and like hide that I'm fucked. I'm just going to be this. Um, and yeah, like it was weird. I remember that. And yeah, it's funny that you say that it was like this crossroads and then you just kind of, you know, dove deeper into the into the into the drug life yeah well it's like do i get clean and that's hard or do i just keep doing what i've always done that's easy it's it's easy to use drugs you know it's hard to be clean yeah so i I know it's easy in (laughs) In hindsight yeah Yeah. (laughs) i I know it's easy yeah that's right well that's what i was gonna say i know it's easy in hindsight but yeah um what do you reckon in that in that moment because if you think about all this shit that happened in your life after that it sounds like that's when you really started scraping the bottom of the barrel after that right (laughs) do you in hindsight is there anything that you can kind of see that maybe could have been done or was if if you had like a certain supports in place or something do you reckon you could have been helped to avoid that or do you reckon it was just like inevitable? Look, you know, it's easy to sit in hindsight and go, well, if this had happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And um, I guess, you know, that's the beauty of it. But uh, I think, you know, definitely not at the time, like when I lost my job and lost my house and I was just like, oh, my life's fucked, fuck it, I'm just going to. That was a lot of fucks. I'm just gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna go and do this that seems easier. Um, but definitely yeah. when I, um, when I, when I first got caught, and I got caught with a fair amount of drugs, and I got caught with about an ounce, and I got caught with my phone, and my phone had red hot text messages on it, and. Um, like they went back to my, they had the keys to this apartment that I was like hotel hopping in and they went back and they got, I had fantasy and drugs and scales and lists and this and that, like just an absolute shit show. But at that point in time, it it was was pretty hard. It was pretty hard to claim personal use. (laughs) It's not personal. It was, yeah, it's definitely very hard to claim that. And, um, and, but at that time, like it was obvious that I was a drug addict. Like it was, it was obvious, you know, the police knew I'd been not, I'd never been charged, but I'd been in contact. I'd been at raids. They knew that I was a drug addict, you know? And so had maybe, the court's gone, all right, 
young lady, you've obviously got a problem. Um, you're 20, you know, you're in your late twenties. Life's not going to be easy if you go to prison, just so you know, cause I wasn't, that was never like a reality for me. I was never going to prison in my head. Um, yeah. and then the life after yeah. prison was Nova, just not comprehensible but they should have at that stage someone should have said hey it's going to be hard you know if you keep doing this just get some help now Mm. and there's nothing there's nothing there like they just go oh you've got all these charges you're obviously a drug addict you're obviously selling drugs we'll give you bail there you go now go fix yourself and don't don't do it again you know like that's not I don't even think I'd probably come down by the time they'd even given me bail. Like I was still high, I think. And so you're just yeah. going straight back into what you were doing before. No, you're not going to go, oh, that was a wake-up call. Like you spent a couple of days in a cell. It's not, you know, there's nothing there that kind of, that's the, you know, the ACT, like they've, they've introduced new, new um, reforms that have, that I think, you know, if done right, they would be really like really successful. And we need something like that here yeah. in Queensland. A hundred percent. How much can you remember? I'm just Googling it as you're talking to me. Mm-hmm. How much is considered a commercial commercial quantity of meth in Queensland? You know, I'm low, not right? I'm not certain, but I think it's like three grams or something. Yeah, I'm just gonna Google. I'm not here. certain. Because yeah, you're really right. But I had a possession of commercial you're quantity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that but that's what I mean because I've seen heaps of and I'm gonna find it on Google so I don't sound like a fucking idiot. Yeah, because I can't remember. It's been a while. It's since been I've done, so long since I've honestly. done that kind of work. But um, I remember at least when I was going up court with people in Melbourne, um, 250 grams of ice are considered commercial quantity. Yeah, but that's. I don't think that's right. And anyway, no. I'll keep looking, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like people were getting done. People were getting done when I was like going to court with them when I was working at a rehab for like having, yeah, like a, just like a quarter of ice or something. And yeah. That could be wrong or like two quarters, you know, and like it's fuck all really. Like it's definitely like personal use. And, and then yeah. they were getting like, strung up on yeah like commercial quantity like trafficking charges shit like that and i'm like my god what the fuck um yeah and, yeah and it just and 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 as you're saying it just like puts you into this system that like yeah just kind of makes you worse in every way or has the potential to make you worse in every every way possible yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden you like this huge ice dealer and they go oh three grams that's 300 hits of ice and it's like you know, they like to <laughs> 300 hits and then, oh, and it's got a street value of $3,000 and it's just, it just, well, they're statistics. I mean, that's how they get funding. That's how they, it's a, it's a broken, broken system. But, yeah, it's definitely um, what I was caught with. It was not, when you when you go down to the purity of it, it was nothing, you know, it was, yeah. It was not much. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And and as you said, I think that's a really interesting approach. And I'm glad that you kind of brought that up as like you know what you would say because the 
hundred, like you said, it was probably pretty clear that you, despite the amount that you had, it was pretty fucking clear that you were doing, you were selling drugs really just to kind of fuel your own drug use um, and to have a bit, probably a bit of money left over to eat and have a roof over your head and Correct. whatever. So it's not, it's not hard to kind of work out that if you just help this person with their like addiction, that you'll probably get a better outcome long-term for the community rather than, yeah, putting them in a cage. And and it's less use. Potentially. I know it worked out for you. But, yeah. but it doesn't. I'm like a very small percentage of people that, you know, and I'm very lucky and I've got a lot of privilege and I have, you know, the ability to advocate for myself and support and, and I have a lot of things that a lot of people don't get to have the luxury of having. Yeah. So, yeah. People, I don't want people to listen to this and go, oh, well, she went to prison and she's fine. It's not, that's not the reality. But I definitely think our court's use of time and use of resources would be better spent elsewhere rather than I appeared like 12 times, I think, in front of a magistrate within a year, yeah. you know, and they kept just giving me bail yeah. they just changed my conditions oh you have to stay at home from this time to this time or you okay this time you've got to report three days a week okay this time you're banned from the gold coast i wasn't allowed on the gold coast at one point in time you know like just like these <laughs> yeah i was yeah i laughed too when i was like you're gonna ban me from the gold coast okay i'll just go to brisbane i don't what but um yeah, just yeah. really bizarre bail conditions. And then I breached my bail like a bazillion times and then they were like, okay, you've got no bail conditions. And so then I had no bail conditions and, yeah, it, it's just such a waste of resources. And they could have gone, okay, you need to go on a diversion program. Here you go, sort your shit out. I mean, it's not as simple yeah. as that. But and and a hundred percent. I I think it's a good point that you bring up. Like, um, if if you don't mind, because I know we've kind of spoke about this on the phone a little bit. But mm. so, can you tell us a bit? Like, I know you, like you said, you got an amazing blessed life, and it's really cool. And and I know you're kind of like not complaining about it, but <laughs> yeah, like there's long lasting consequences from that oh. sentence, right? Like. I think we, was it you were telling me that you wanted to like pursue different career paths that you couldn't get into and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'll take it right back from when I got out. So when I got out, um, I was volunteering for an organisation that um, does school programs um, and I had been oh, I had been out of prison then for a few months um, but the whole purpose was lived experience, drug addiction, lived experience. And so... Um, to be able to go into schools yeah. and, and tell your story and um, deliver these, you know, drug education programs, you need a blue card. Now, I don't have any um, violent offences and I don't have any, um, like, robbery or offences against a person or any of those things. It's purely drug and breach of bail and drug-related offences. Um, but I can't get a blue card. So I applied for a blue card yeah. and I was rejected. Um, so that means that I couldn't do that anymore. Then I was like, okay, well, that's really disappointing. I really 
wanted to do that. And it was a volunteer position. No one's paying you for that stuff. So um, that was yeah. one door that closed in front of me. Then I applied for a job. I applied for a job at Westfield. Sorry, Westfield, but I did. And, um, and I got the job. And then they wanted me to declare that I hadn't had a criminal history in the last two years. And I sat down with the manager, told over everything, was really honest. And I was like, look, I'm just, I really want to get my life on track. And I really, you know, as long as I'm not using drugs, I'm not a threat to anybody and I'm not using drugs. These are my support people. And I laid it all out for her and they went, yeah, you can't work here. Give us your security badge. So I was like escorted off the premises. So it was another door closed. (laughs) Yeah. It was like ridiculous. Hey, fuck you, Westfield. Like really embarrassing. That, that's Jack saying that, not, yeah. not you. <laughs> yeah, like really embarrassing stuff, you know. Like I'm just like still like trying to like repair myself, my self-confidence, everything. You know, jail strips everything away from you. You are like not even human when you get out of there. And I'm trying, I'm trying so hard and then there's another door closed and I'm like, okay, what else can I do? And I... And I took a break, like I just stopped working and COVID hit and I was like, whatever, went on this road trip and um, and that's when I met my partner. Yeah, so I... Um, I what, hold on two secs, we're, we're back people, sorry, we... Uh... We disappeared into the Zoom into the Zoom universe or uh, the Riverside universe, as I like to call it these days. My bad. Um, so, <laughs> just, uh, totally fine. Just to go back, where it started crackling out, and I'm really interested to hear what you say because I was kind of getting like the little alien versions come through. But yeah, so you, you got escorted out of, so you they told at Westfield, they you did all the stuff with the chick and she told you to give the security pass back and they escorted you out. Yeah, then, yeah. What, yep. were say, what were you saying about all that? Because it was really interesting yeah. what you were saying. Yeah, so, um, so I was like, did I say that? Did you get the part about, you know, I was talking about prison and it, it knocks you all, like everything is just stripped away, you know, and you feel like I'm just trying to like contribute. I'm just trying to be a member of society. Like I just, I've done my time. I've got clean. I'm just, just give me a go. Like somebody give me a go. Anyways, it was a blessing because COVID happened and I was like, well, yeah. I'm not working. The government's giving you a thousand dollars a fortnight. <laughs> I'm not gonna work. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Can't yeah. get a job anyways. So um and so and I went on a road just trip. Ba- yeah, and sorry, and just to go back, that's yeah. the funny thing for me about the whole like justice system and the and prisons and stuff like that is like you're saying to people, Hey, we're gonna punish you, but it's not really just like a single punishment it's like a life punishment because all the things like there's these things for anyone that wants to know like the technical terms which is not that fucking technical most people know about it but all the like social determinants of health so like a good financial um, situation uh being employed you know like having access to different like healthcare and support systems and all that sort of stuff right social um, yeah social social connection with people Mm. once you leave prison that's so hard to retain because yeah your criminal record comes up on everything and then you can't like get a job which puts you back in that situation where you're like well fuck how am I gonna 
progress with my life. You know what I mean? And especially like you just said, if you're already like pretty kind of broken, degraded, stripped back from these experiences in prison of being searched and locked in your cell and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's really, it's just really stupid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. And it, I tried, I applied for jobs and I've got a, like, I, I, you know, I'm educated. I have a work history. I, I interview well for jobs. You know, yeah. I, I'm not like I, I had all the things going for me and I still, I couldn't get employed. And so I was like, yeah. well, what are you going to do? So I went on this road trip and met my amazing partner now and um awesome. and you know covid happened and we were just like whole like you know going on all these really cool fishing trips and um enjoying life and and then sort of you know he had to go back to work too like he owns his own business so we had clients and he's got to he had to go back to work but he was like well, what do you want to do you know what what is it what do you want to do and i was like I'd really actually like to do law. Like I would love to do law. I'd love, I always wanted to work in the criminal justice system. I always wanted to work with, um, you know, incarcerated women or, you know, all of that stuff. And I'd love to do law. And so I um, did my first year of my Juris Doctor, which is not cheap, by the way. And, um, and then I was basically told by the law society, which which you have to you have to be enrolled through the Supreme Court yeah. to be able to be a practicing lawyer. They basically said to me, "With your history, you you really need to seek legal advice um, because <laughs> there's a possibility that you won't be admitted." And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" really I've done a year of this I have great marks like I don't understand how that's even a thing like there's a there's another lady who's a, a lawyer Debbie Kilroy she's she's a very prominent lawyer and she was in prison for drug charges she's a lawyer so I thought there's no way that that's possible anyways I got legal advice and um and the the advice was you need to wait 10 years you can't yeah, you won't be able to, you won't get admitted. So I had to, you need to withdraw from years. that course. Yeah, like you, um, yeah, basically, yeah, until um, until the 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 um, the charges or the the indictments are, uh, I don't know the correct term, are basically like you don't yeah, have to report them made. anymore. Yeah. 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 lost the word um but yeah so so there was that so then there goes another year of my life that I just like worked my ass off and law is not easy um and and I was just and like expensive. you know what expensive you don't get that money back and you can't it's not transferable um and I was like you know what I am so friggin sick of this like I am so sick of being told that I can't do something because I was an idiot in my twenties. Like I made yeah. mistakes and I put my hand up. I never did. I, I pleaded guilty to all of it. I should have pleaded not guilty to some of it, but I just was like, you know what? There's some shit on here that I haven't done, but there's also shit not on here that I have done. So we're just going to go, I'm guilty. 
Let's just, you know, let's stop messing around. I did my time and I like want to give back to society. Yeah. And every time I try, there's these doors that just go down, that go down, that go down. And I'm pretty resilient, but there's a lot of people that go, well, what's the point? Like I want to get into community services or be a youth worker because they've had, you know, shitty upbringings and they really want to contribute to that space and they can't because they've got criminal records. They can't get a blue card. Like how's that even, how's that, that, I don't understand how a system works like that. Really annoys me. (laughs) Did you listen to, I can tell, but it's good. And that's the thing, again, like it doesn't, it doesn't make, it, it annoys me too and it doesn't make sense because you would be the perfect person to come in and advocate for and kind of prosecute change that needs to happen, you know, like particularly for women, you know, that's meant to be a hot button election topic, right? It is, yeah. In the political realm and all that sort of stuff, right? But as you said, because you made mistakes – um, in your 20s when really, you know, we didn't go into it too much, but it sounds like there was like, which which is really just another way of like kind of smothering some sort of like underlying pain or hurt or whatever that's usually going yeah. on for most people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for sure. You're, you're like punished <laughs> for, the, for the rest of your life and, and Non-stop. all blocks and barriers are put in. And it's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Did you by any chance listen to the last podcast we did? It really sent shivers up my spine. He's a great he's a great guy. That that fella, um, Russell Manser. Yeah, I, I listened seen to any it. of his story around Yeah, yeah. Like what you're saying, and that that's the thing that I want people to take away that listen to this that maybe aren't sort of front facing to, you know, the alcohol and drug space or community service sector or or they don't really engage with people that are like disadvantaged you know like you 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 are starting it's just no way to like think about it differently in my mind like you do start it's not an excuse but you do start from a lower base and we kind of need to accept that you know like i think about that guy russell's story he did he was like a bank robber and did 23 years in prison but he like the first part of his life in his developmental years were just like super fucking traumatic, terrible. Yeah. You know, like how can you expect how can you expect the guy to go out there and prosper? You know what I mean? Like he's just trying to survive. Survive, exactly. Um, and yeah. you know, that's that's the thing with a lot of well, you find with I'd say ninety-eight percent of drug addicts is that you we're just trying to make something feel better. There's been a lot of trauma there's been a lot of internal stuff that goes on and it's just a response to pain it's a response to these things that we don't know how to work out because we weren't taught coping mechanisms when you know we were supposed to be and by no no one's fault and it's not you know I don't like to be like you know this is a this is a parent problem but things get missed and fuck it's no one's fault you know and we end up in these places and and it's like we just we're just trying to mask something and once you work that shit out 
Like I've never thought about using ice ever again. I just, it's just yeah. like I have dreams about it sometimes, but I wake up and I feel sick. Like I just, I never want to use it again. It's not even something that I'm tempted to do, like because I worked out my shit, you know? And yeah. that's the thing. That's what I say to so many people. Like I'm not a risk to, I'm not a danger mm. to the community anymore because without drugs, I'm not a criminal. That's just. Mm. You know, I don't even speed. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's crazy how you you do like you do all these things when you are high, but like mm. I'm not that anymore. And so you're still being punished for as if you were that person. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. yeah. So it it really does. So so you're like. Uh, yeah, you're really articulate. You can tell that you're fucking smart, you know, young, attractive, all that stuff, right? Thanks. Um, how, <laughs> no worries. How, like, <laughs> you, you can tell that for anyone listening and watching. Um, but, like, how, how, do you, how do you, like, manage your recovery these days and how do you go with, like, sharing your story publicly like this? Like, what's that process been like for you? Um, yeah, like my recovery. So when I got out, I was in the rooms, I was doing Narcotics Anonymous, um, with the, the two ladies that, that took Narcotics Anonymous in prison. Um, they were like rocks for me. They were incredible. And I think that my attachment to them was bigger than my attachment to NA because I'm not in the rooms anymore. Um, and we spoke about this, you know, off camera, but I, I felt like, um, I had grow like outgrowing Narcotics Anonymous, and I know it sounds yeah. really wanky, and I sound up myself, and a lot of people that are in the rooms will be like, "Oh well, you know, they'll find a reason to be upset with me about that." But I have. I feel like I've outgrown Narcotics <laughs> Anonymous, um, only because it's okay. You're allowed to change. <laughs> yeah, only because I feel like I didn't want to go into a room and talk about all the shit that I'd been through. I wanted to be like, Hey, actually, you know, I, I liked the after part where you're like, let's go for coffee. And you, and you really like, you know, could be more than this drug addict. And I hated that. Hi, I'm an addict. Cause I wasn't an addict anymore. I never did use not once. So yeah, I just, anyways, I outgrew that. So now I just managed my recovery. You know, i I like I exercise, I hike a lot. Um, well, I used to before I had a baby. It's hard now. Um, <laughs> but my therapist, um, my therapist was like the center of my recovery. Um, that was right. a huge part of my recovery. Um, she's incredible, Denise Eagleton. Anybody needs a therapist, look her up. Yeah, she's pretty busy. Um, but. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, just a really incredible um, healing, like, therapist. And, and I connect with her a lot. Um, but I feel like um, I only need to connect with her, like, when, like, I've come across, like, a feeling that I I haven't experienced. You know, I've, I've connected with her more recently because I um, have a 10-month-old who doesn't like to sleep. And so it's like 
um, you know, just little things that come up in life and you go, how do I navigate this? Because I don't know how to be an adult without drugs prior to prison. Um, And so, yeah, that's my recovery. And um, sharing my story, I um, I shared my story like um, when I was um, volunteering for the Australian Anti-Ice Campaign and I shared my story at a school and shared my story, you know, with them. And, uh, and then I shared my story on ABC and, um, that was hard, um, to watch back because, uh, Alison Horn, great reporter, fantastic woman. Um, and she's a journalist. They have to edit shit out. It's just how they do it. And they like the grabby headlines. But the way that I was edited, I really didn't like how I was portrayed. But that's life. Um, and I really wish that I um, had thought about it a little bit more before I shared. Right. But now right. I'm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm. I'm what were you going to say? Yeah, sorry? now I'm totally comfortable sharing my story. Like I don't actually think that. Um, like I share it with um, select people here and there, um, but I haven't like done it on a platform like this since ABC. So <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, time. No, but it, but it's interesting because um, it's interesting because yeah, I've been talking a lot about that lately because I don't know a lot of this stuff has been coming up for me. Oh, 11 years on and and just yeah sort of also like having kids and moving on with my life and shit like that and um yeah it's it's really interesting to hear other people's experiences and i have i've had a similar one to you you know like uh, it's it's been super weird to um just go i was talking about it with someone um the other day at the at the conference it's really weird to kind of go through like a complete identity shift you know and uh just kind of like i don't know then have people try and like pull you back into that identity like you're saying you know people can be a bit funny when beliefs conflict with their beliefs and then you know then you look back at like media stuff and you go fuck (laughs) (laughs) is that really is that really how i wanted to like come across you know all that stuff yeah yeah but i think that's a part of growth too you know like um Like I'm not the same person I am now that I was when I did that last interview with the ABC. So you look back and you go, I like to relate it back to, you know how Facebook brings up the, (laughs) this is so weird, but you know how Facebook brings up those memories of your status? I hate those memories. (laughs) I hate that shit. So I have a different. I get ones from like when I was in the height of my addiction and it like, gives me spine tingles it's fucking it's cringy right so i have a different facebook now that i did when i was using um but i still have access to my old facebook and i and i go on there sometimes and i look at the statuses and i cringe and that is because of growth i think you know we grow and we change in our ideas and our beliefs and all of that grows and changes and so when we see like those media interviews even though it was only a short time ago, you know, 2020, whatever, we cringe because we're like, oh, my God, I'm not like that anymore. (laughs) So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's super. What would you like to see, though, like, 
happen, say if you had a magic wand or you could like talk to journalists or you could talk to, um, you could talk to, like, because I don't want to be hypocritical, right? Like I'm doing this fucking podcast and like putting out people's stories. You know, sometimes we even put like pretty, like catchy fucking titles on them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Marketing. To try and hook people in. So I'm not trying to, like, yeah, like I'm not trying to, I don't know, talk out both sides of my mouth. But I but I do think in general, um, yeah, there just needs to be a bit of a shift in like the narrative and the way things are explained. Yeah. You know? I feel like there's always like this token addict in a story, you know. So the story, what the ABC originally yeah. interviewed me for, they wanted my thoughts on decriminalisation of personal amounts of drugs, similar to what they've done in the ACT, but they yeah. were talking about it here in Queensland. And um, – and and basically I said the same thing as, you know, as what I said to you before, you know, if someone had been there at that first instance and said, hey, you need help, let's, you know, get you some help rather than just releasing you back into the arms of your addiction, um, that's that's was the basis of the story. But, the, you know, you've got to tell everything else before that and so – that story was more important really and they sort of yeah. sold that bit of my story off to other news places and they you know so that wasn't that was um really cringy the way that they did that but that's life and that's fine um but if i yeah, yeah. i guess yeah that's just if i had my time again i guess i would um not spill my guts like i would just answer the question succinctly yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's it's really interesting because it it's i don't know and sorry if this is boring to everyone because i've been i have been talking about this a lot <laughs> on different podcasts but you're right like i agree like that token addict thing um it's uh yeah it it just the intentions from people are good. And I think back to when I did it, like I had the yeah. best of intentions to kind of go out there on the TV and spread, spread the yep. message of hope. But unknowingly I was kind of entrenching and ingraining the like old stereotype. And yeah, old absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And what I was going to say is it's hard because, you know, I, I kind of believe that people telling their stories is going to be the thing that breaks the stigma down yeah. um, and kind of connects, connects people to other people. But also, yeah, it's kind of like there just needs to be a bit of nuance in it and, and a different way of sort of. And like, like you, things, you know, like to, you said, you know, it's that connection. Yeah. And I think by editing a, a one hour, two hour interview that they did down to a three minute clip where, you know, they, they, basically just make me the token addict and this is what this addict thinks should happen with these law reforms who am i you know but and then people basically yeah said? like this, this is, is what she thinks should happen and um uh, and it's uh, kind of like well not you know yeah it's just it's it's hard to get that connection. I'm Talia. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hard to <laughs> yeah. get that connection with people when they've edited a clip and, and you're the token addict in a, in a story, you know? And I think, 
definitely like things like Australian Story help to open um, that connection a little bit more. And so maybe that's what I was looking for rather than being um, a grab on a story about something else, if that makes sense. I think that's yeah. the kind of what, what yeah, what I thought was going to happen, but it's not. It wasn't. And it was just they put it on Facebook and let me tell you, those people are not kind on Facebook world. Um, you know, my story and the comments and it just perpetuated like, yeah, oh, my gosh, like everybody who has ever been done wrong by by somebody that's ever used drugs, I was the, I was the face of it, you know. It just felt really personally attacking me and I'd never done anything yeah. wrong to these people in my life but mm. that's the society that we live in and it's hard to break that down. Like it, it's hard. Yeah, 100%. But podcasts yeah. like this are incredible because it, it helps. Yeah. Like I'm just a normal person. Like I have a baby, I have a husband, I have a business I'm a normal person and I've made mistakes and and it's easier to connect with somebody like that rather than I went to prison yep. and I used to be a drug addict. You know, that that's hard for people to connect to. So I get it. I do understand. Um, and it's just up to people like you and everybody else in the space to kind of open that gateway for connection to people. Sorry to put that on you, but. <laughs> hey. Well, I was going to say, we're going to start putting you in a bit of a headlock to, to come and help. So on that, on that, on that note, like what, what, um, what are you doing now? Like, so, so after you had a bit of the letdown with the, um, yep. with the law stuff, like what did you, what yeah, did you decide I, to um, do? I decided that I was going to do my master's in criminology and criminal justice. So that is what I'm doing wow. now. Um, and hopefully, um, that with my lived experience, I can kind of combine the two um, and um, I've got like a little program. I really want to work with, with re-entry to the community, so women that come out of prison and help them re-enter back into the community and um, kind of break down a few barriers and, and advocate and, and do that kind of stuff. Um, but just finish my master's and um, get through raising a little boy would be good. <laughs> Yeah, superwoman. No. We're not asking for much, are we? Um, <laughs> um, no, nah, but that's really cool. So, like, how how far are you in? Um, so, like so the masters? you've got to do like a bridging graduate certificate um, first, and then which is masters level subjects, and it goes towards your masters. So, my graduate certificate finishes um, middle of next year, and then masters is at one more year after that. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Um, and and why the why the reintegration? Is that because it was like the biggest thing for you, or you just think it's like super important, or no one does it? All of those well, things or? is so important. Um, our recidivism rate is. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Have I dropped out again? You there? No, uh, no, just just a little bit. Keep going. Yeah, okay, Keep sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the recidivism rate is like right, is right. way higher than what it needs to be um, because people fall through the gaps. There's not 
there's no funding for support services when you get out. Um, and a huge thing for me, I, I was, um, I'll tell you a little bit how I got out of prison. So I, they woke me up at three o'clock in the morning in my cell and said, get up, you're going on escort. You're going to the, um, courthouse today. And I was like, Oh, I don't have court today. Like, no, I'm not prepared for this. I'm, I don't think I have to go. And they're like, get up, you got to go. So you're up at 3 a.m. They take you in a bus to, to the courthouse and you sit in this cell underneath the courthouse um, all day. And then at 4.30, or just before the, I was the last person to get up, I, I got up in front of the magistrate, oh, the, sorry, the Supreme Court judge and the Supreme Court judge said, all right, um, you time served, you can go home today. Now, I didn't have a chance to call anybody, organise anything, do anything. So here I am Friday night. uh, They released me from the cells at 7pm on a Friday night. I had nothing. I had no money because you can't take anything with you to court from prison. So I had no money, no ID, no, this sounds really terrible, but like no shoes. I was in shitty clothes. Um, I had nothing. Yeah, well, luckily... My lawyer called my mother and my mother was there and, and she had things for me. So it's only because I have those supports in place that I had shoes, you know, like I didn't even have, I had nothing. I had socks on. And so they kick you out. Imagine if I didn't have my mum there. I've got no money, nothing. What are you going to do? You're going straight back to using drugs. I'll tell you right now, you go back to where you know, and you, I would, I would have gone straight back to what I knew if my mum hadn't been there. Because what else do you do? What What else do you do? So that for wow. me is um, something that I'm really passionate about. So like giving that connection as soon as somebody gets out of prison, as soon as someone comes, whether they get released from the prison doors or from the courthouse doors, then they have what they need to get money, get food, get shelter, um, and not have to go back into that life. So that's something that I'm really, really passionate about. And that's where I want to go. That's the space I want to be in. No one does it. No one, no one's there at court. (laughs) So what was that? Yeah. Really? That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so, so when the judge says to you, like, you can go home, (laughs) And you're standing there in your mm. socks and I don't know, what colour do they wear up in Queensland? Blue. Green? Is that wrong wear green or a different colour? Smurf blue. Yeah. Blue. Okay. Um, that's gr- yeah. That's it's beautiful. Blue. There you go. Hot. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you get that message and you kind of, it sounds like you weren't 100% expecting it or you just didn't know like what was going on that day. What's that like? What's that feeling like? Was it kind of excitement mixed with a whole bunch of holy shit? Yeah, anxiety, huge anxiety. I was shaking, even though my mum was in court and like my lawyer had already told me, "Look, you're gonna, you'll probably get out with time served. Probably, they can never promise anything." Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I was just shaking with anxiety. Uh, because I'd been up since 3 a.m. sitting in a cell waiting for my fate. And so, you know, 12 hours, 13 hours later, you get to sit in front of a magistrate. I know it blows my mind too. And it's just like, 
you, it's an it's this build up all day, and I was just shaking, and I and I just remember them saying, "You, yeah, time served," um, but I still had a parole period, obviously, um, and uh, and I and I was like, "Mad, let's go!" I wanted I wanted to go home so bad, my entire prison sentence, and I was like, "Okay, I want to go home now. Like, I'm I'm good. I want to go home." And so they make you wait like another three hours to process you out. <laughs> and um it's just it's like nerve-wracking yeah yeah it's um yeah it's it's just interesting the whole thing like i remember talking to a guy that had done a lot of um a lot of prison and i know i know it's just like a little thing but i was talking to him and i was saying oh the prisoners and he like he just like pulled me up and he's like they're not the prisoners they're the people that are at fucking prison they're not yep. <laughs> like prisoners. And I'm like, okay, sorry. Yeah. And it's just interesting. Like I've spoken to a lot of people. It's the same with like the, the drug using stuff. It, like what we were saying before, it becomes like an identity that other people almost like kind of, and again, like you said, it's not blaming anyone else, but yeah, like it, it kind of society, the systems, the, the structures, they, it kind of like, I don't know, infects you a little bit, doesn't it? And it just kind of becomes part of you. And then, as you said, it strips, can strip people back. Like you went from this person that, you know, was probably pretty confident within work and career and all that stuff to kind of not knowing what to expect, shaking, bit bit broken and, and scared for what, what was to come when you got released, yeah. you know? It's, it's pretty amazing that you've come out the other side and you are where you are Thank today. you. Yeah, awesome. and it's not been easy, you know, like to work through all the shit that that you do and have done to you when you're in using, you know, it's, it's a dark, dark place. But I'm, I'm grateful and, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful because I know that a lot of people don't get this opportunity and it's and it's shit because there's a lot of women in prison who have so much to offer this world. Well, all of them do have so much to offer this world and the sad reality yeah. is they may not get the chance to live their lives to its capacity because of the way that our system is and the way that it's broken and how we just, it's almost like they're just forgotten about, you know. It's like, oh, you can go now, you're released and kick you out the door. No wonder they come back within two years, they're back in the prison yeah. system because, like, if I have all these doors closed on me and I feel like I have a lot of privilege in this world, imagine the women who don't have anyone to advocate for them. Imagine the women that don't have the support. Imagine the women that don't have the processing that I've got and it's just really shit it's really shit yeah 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 you're 100% right um mate you're a superstar um uh um you know when I talk to people like it's it's usually most people I talk to on this podcast but when I when I talk to people I kind of file their names away in a little imaginary book to think fuck I've got to try and yeah, wrangle them into what we're doing or get them a part of what we're doing somehow. So you're one of those people because it's a pretty cool story and I, I like to hear the uh, passion thanks. that you have. So thanks for thanks coming for on, having mate, me. and uh, being a part of it. And, and Yeah, no, thanks so it. much, Jack. No worries. All right, peace, every. No worries at all. Thanks, everybody. Peace.
There we go, everybody. Another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, really inspiring to me, uh, Talia's story, uh, just about how she's like persisted and done really cool things in her life post, you know, overcoming her addiction and, you know, getting pushed back and slapped down. Um, but still, you know, like being innovative and having to think about things and not giving up and, um, you know, re-engaging in other forms of study and all that sort of stuff. So she's one to watch. I think she's going to do some really interesting stuff um, when she finishes her master's uh, and make the world a whole lot of a better place. Um, so uh, as always, guys, um, yeah, if you need help and support, you want to beat addictive patterns without going to rehab, connection-based living, down, link down in the show notes. Um, and as always, guys, um, stay safe and well. Uh, have a good week and uh, look forward to vibing in your ears again soon next week. Peace.